Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Nervous Herbalist, a podcast for Chinese medicine practitioners who like herbs and want to learn more about their function, their history, and treatment strategies to use in the clinic. Let's get into it. Okay, everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Nervous Herbalist. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Travis Kern. And I'm Travis Cunningham. And today we are going to finish our conversation about the middle jowl some of the things that ail the middle jowl. Um, if you listened to the episode right before this one, you would have heard us talk about this idea of an upper middle jowl and a lower middle jowl. And we spent a lot of time last time talking about the lower middle jowl. And I just kind of want to relay out that concept for everyone who's maybe forgotten what we talked about last time or is joining us for the first time. Mm-hmm. So the distinction between an upper middle jowl and a lower middle jowl is purely for the purpose of having this conversation. Right. Right. This is not a traditional distinction. Um, I'm not even sure clinically if I would say that it's a useful way necessarily to think about it, but it's just there's so many things to talk about with regard to the middle jowl um, that I thought it was a good idea to maybe break them up. So lower middle jowl, as we talked about it last time, was primarily dysfunctions of bowel movement, right? Some kind of pooping problem, right? Yep. And a lot of what we talked about um, were pooping problems that are connected to excess accumulations. So we talked a lot about dampness and heat and some of the other major factors that tend to cause loose stool, constipation, bleeding, etc. Right. Irritable bowel syndrome. Um, we touched a little bit on deficiency patterns because, of course, as we all know, as practitioners of Chinese medicine, it's very rare for you know something to be purely excess or purely deficiency, right? There's a lot of mixture of things yeah, that happens. Sure. Um, but in this case, we now today, as we talk about upper middle jowl problems, what's likely going to be the case is that we're going to talk a little bit more about deficiency presentations, right? And the distinction that I'm making with the upper middle jowl is problems of digestion like indigestion, heartburn, abdominal pain, right? What causes those things and why? And again, just like with the lower middle jowl problems can can be deficiency or excess problems, obviously upper middle jowl problems can also be mm-hmm. deficiency or excess problems. But I think we're going to spend a little bit more time today talking about middle jowl formulas that I use, that we use for deficiency presentations. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. So why don't we jump into it then? So um, for our upper middle problems, uh, one of the most common complaints that we see in the clinic has to do with heartburn or acid reflux, as we would put it more clinically, right? So let's um, let's talk a little bit about that. What do you what do you like to do for acid reflux or heartburn? What are the different patterns that you tend to see? What are the formulas you like to use, the strategies, approaches there? So if you got if you dive into a machiocha or a clinical manual and you look at sections on heartburn acid reflux, mm-hmm. and I I will say that firstly, patients um, have different understandings of what is heartburn, what is acid reflux. I've also seen kind of varying discussions in professional textbooks about what exactly is heartburn versus acid reflux. Oh, sure. Sometimes people treat them interchangeably. Sometimes people treat them differently. For our purposes, heartburn slash acid reflux are discomfortable um, sensations experienced from like 
sort of epigastrum or sternum up to the throat and into the back of the throat. It can be substantive, like people have bile or small amounts of vomit mm -hmm. that come up out of their throat, acid from their stomach. Um, or it can be insubstantive, right, where it's just hot and painful, right, and nothing actually ever comes up, but they feel it. Sure. Both of those things I'm going to just interchangeably refer to as heartburn acid reflux in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Regurgitation, where something actually comes up into your throat, in my experience, is an exacerbation of an underlying problem. Sure. Right? So yeah. it's just like when it gets really bad, then we start to have also regurgitation. Um but so as, if you're listening, it's like, okay, they're, they're just mixed. Like we're going to use the terms interchangeably here. Uh -huh. The thing is when you go to the textbooks and you look at the first primary patterns, the patterns always are laid out um, as excess patterns, right? And they're often laid out initially as heat patterns. So you have like a stomach heat excess pattern, right? Which if you think about the presentation of something like acid reflux, that totally makes sense, right? Except that... I almost never see that happen. <laughs> Same. <laughs> it just that just doesn't happen. It just doesn't it's happen. It's not that simple. Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, I guess I always think too, like, you know, when the classics were written and, and stuff was put together, like the world was a really different place, you mm -hmm. know, and sort of what people ate, what they had access to, what kinds of digestive problems. You know, you know how when you look at the old books and even in Bensky that references old books you'll see these like childhood nutritional impairment problems. Sure, and right. Wasting and thirsting disorders and just these kinds of things that like we don't see as contemporary practitioners in America or in the West um, and or are less significant problems among children or the elderly or even, you know, full-blown adults um, than they used to be. Yeah, so true. I think the stomach heat, pet, it, you can see it. I'm not saying it's impossible, right? There are definitely some ruddy, complected, robust, irritable people who are walking around with some stomach heat, a lot of times it's still not excess heat, right? Yeah. It's a it's a false heat. It's a heat from deficiency, right? From a stomach right. yin deficiency that's then causing this flaring fire. And that's really what we're going to talk about, I think, today with relative to this issue. Most of the time when I see this problem, it is a deficiency problem. Yeah, yeah. And um, so explain how that would work. For people who maybe aren't as familiar with that term, like how do we get an acid reflux situation from a deficiency picture? Hmm. So, of course, like so many things, there's a lot of ways that it can occur, right? But um, one of the things that I see a lot that happens is you'll have a patient come in sort of classically a little bit overweight, a little bit visibly damp, right? So mm -hmm. uh, flesh is a little soft, a little bit edema, um, maybe... You know, they've got a uh, thicker tongue coating, some swelling on the tongue. So you've got tooth marks, right? It's pale, right? A little lethargic, a little brain fog, right? So sort of classic kidney, spleen, deficiency, dampness, mm -hmm. right? And any, any iterations of that that you might expect, right? What happens with the heartburn aspect of it, in my mind, is, is an interesting complexity, right? So basically, your spleen is underperforming. And as it's underperforming, it's producing an excess of dampness, right? Mm -hmm. That dampness accumulates in all kinds of different places, and that accumulation stagnates, and that stagnation causes heat, right? Yeah. Now, we all know that relationship, right, sort of heat from stagnation, and that can look like phlegm accumulation in the throat. It can look like pain in the joints. It can look like problems with bowel movement, and it can also look like heartburn, right? Right, right, right. The other thing that happens, though, what I find that heartburn is a real issue in those patients that I just described, the damp patients, it was kind of downstream. It didn't happen. It wasn't the first thing. Heartburn wasn't the first thing 
that would have shown me 15 years ago that they had a digestive problem. Right, sure. It would have been lethargy, loose stool, loose musculature, that sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. But now the dampness has accumulated long enough and stagnated long enough that the heat has cooked long enough that now more substantive yin materials have been damaged. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for me, because I use a lot of, I spend a lot of time with tongues, I see that often as increasingly cracked center lines on tongues. Mm -hmm. So here the tongue comes out. It's flabby. It's pale. It's scalloped. It has a whitish coating and a center line crack. Yeah. Right. Hmm. It's not red. It's not speckled. It's not yellow. It's not dry. In fact, it's all the opposites of that. Right, yeah. But it has a centerline crack. Right. What is that about? In my experience, that is lurking damp heat that has damaged yin stuff. In this case, yin, stomach yin. Okay. Right? Okay. So how do you deal with that? Dump a bunch of yin tonics in it? Ooh, no. (laughs) No, no, no. You cannot do that because the person (laughs) that I just described cannot metabolize sticky in tonics right can't do yeah it. so how do we how do we deal with that that situation so the core problem is a damp heat problem mm-hmm. uh, that is rooted fundamentally in a deficiency problem right so this is where the style and the art of what we do comes in right so my approach is i gotta work mostly top down for a couple of reasons right one the patient is in here because they have heartburn and if i'm like oh well don't worry i'm gonna fix your kidney yang deficiency yeah right? I may not get at the heartburn very quickly, and then they're going to wonder why they're seeing me in the first place. Oof, yeah. So even though we want to get at root problems, right, you've got to remember to deal with branches, right? So I need to I need to build a formula that's going to address some part of this axis. Yang deficiency, spleen chi, slash kidney yang deficiency at its root, a subsequent damp heat and heat from stagnation in the middle. I'm talking about layers here, so bottom, middle, and at the top, heartburn. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm not going to write a formula that goes all the way to the root first thing, right? Because it's just not going to get me where I need to go in terms of patient outcomes. Uh So I'm going to pick a formula that's going to address some of the heat from stagnation, lingering damp heat factor that's sitting in the literal stomach, right? And probably small intestine. And combine that with the classic pair of heartburn herbs that constitute Zuojin Wan, right? Yeah. So Zuojin Wan is Wuju Yu and Huang Lian. Mm Mm-hmm. It tastes terrible, right? I'll just I'll it's just like tell you It's like the two that. worst tasting herbs ever. Yeah, it's super. Maybe put some shibai <laughs> in there if you really want to make it. It's disgusting. Super gnarly, man. Like super, super gnarly. Um, so Zojinwan, Wujuyu, and Huanglian, where the ratios of those two, Huanglian is like five or six times the value of the Wujuyu, right? So for a per day dosage in bulk, you're probably looking at something like. I don't know. Again, it depends on how bad the problem is, but you're probably looking at something to the tune of, I don't know, like mm, six to nine grams of Huanglian and mm-hmm. one or two grams of Wujuyu. Okay. Right? One something. to two grams of Wujuyu. Yeah, not yeah. much. You know, not much. The thing is, is that the original formulation was one, like an, right. an actual pill. Sure, sure. Right? So you, yeah. you'd make pills using that ratio, that yeah. like one to six ratio, form them with honey. Yep. And then the patient would take a handful of pills, right? So the actual like impact of the herbs is relatively small, but almost no, I mean, in terms of weight dosage, right? But almost no one takes it like that anymore. So you got to figure out a way to integrate this like kind of large 
difference between two ingredients in a way that isn't going to blow the patient out of the water. Right. Because if you're writing a bulk formula and the patient's taking nine grams of Huang Lian a day, that's a lot. It is. Right? It's yeah. very bitter. That's that's high Huang Lian dosage. Very bitter, and it's going to be hard to drink, and it's very cold. Yeah. Right. And while Wu Yu is very hot, right, and it balances out the cold bitterness of the Huang Lian, it's still a lot for a weaker body to take, right? And it's dispersive, right? If you just use the super pungent of Wu Yu and then the bitter of Huang Lian, there's nothing in there that's going to like tonify, nothing that's going to slow it down. There's no sweet flavors in that that formula, right? Exactly, exactly. And so I wonder, you know, I haven't, I haven't looked deeply into the classical origins of this formula, but I've often wondered to myself if uh, Zhou Jinwan was the omeprazole of, of the Tang <laughs> dynasty. You know what I mean? Like, were they like, oh shit, I just had, you know, this torta burrito equivalent <laughs> of Tang dynasty China, some yeah. really spicy dan dan noodles or something. <laughs> and I have terrible heartburn now, so like, let me pop a couple of Zhou Jinwan, yeah. you know, it's the Tums of the era. I'm not sure. I would love, this is the kind of stuff that, you know, as you know, fascinates me. I'm fascinated by historical applications of things because we just get to inherit the, the formula, the, the ratio, the math, right? Even some of the clinical discussion. But like, practically, how are people using this stuff? I don't know. What that means for our purposes, though, is like, okay, I'm going to write a granule formula for this patient. My patient is probably going to take somewhere between 12 and 16 grams of granule per day, right? And so when I'm thinking of how much of this Zojin one do I want as a percentage of the overall formula? Yeah. Right. Um, that's where that's where the customization comes in, right? So if the patient's heartburn is out of control, so yeah. that means almost anything they eat causes heartburn, yeah. not just triggers like alcohol or spicy or greasy or sweet, right? Yeah. But just about anything causes it. Then I'm probably going to make that Zojin one 10 to 15 percent of the total weight of the formula, right? Okay. Wow. So about 15 percent, right? So practically what that means, if you're like trying to, you know, a lot of, we're talking about this in this casual way. I think a lot of people don't think about their granules necessarily in these sure. ratios, right? Mm -hmm. But if I think that the core problem that this patient is experiencing is a spleen chi kidney yang deficiency that has turned into some damp heat that is now causing damage to stomach yin and is therefore resulting in this heartburn, okay? The layer of that formula at its very base, conceptually, is Li Zhong Wan. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to augment the Li Zhong Wan with things that deal with heat from stagnation. So that, if we didn't have heartburn, would probably still include Huang Lian, Jertsa, Mudan Pi. Uh-huh. Right? Okay. Mm -hmm. But since I actually have the Huang Lian in the Zhou Jin Wan, I'll probably just take my Li Zhong Wan. And I'm going to add to it some Mudan P and some Jertsa, right? And then I'm going to put in 10% of the total weight of the formula as Zojin Wan, uh -huh. where the ratio okay. between that is one part Wuju Yu, six parts Huang Lian. Okay, so the, the, the dosage is heavier on the bitter in terms of the, yeah, that than the pungent, but you also have Ganjiang if you're using Li Zhong Wan. You know, it occurs to me that that isn't that different from Wuju Yutong, if you were to take the, the classical Wuju Yutong and then add Huanglian into it, of course, the difference would be the Wuju Yu in Wuju Yutong still is quite a bit higher. Um, but Wuju Yutong also has high dose of Shengzheng, it has Renshen in it. Um, just with the addition of the Wuju Yu, 
being the primary aspect of the formula. But if you add the Huanglian into that formula, it's not that different, actually. No, I mean, I think conceptually you're getting into the same exact headspace, right? Because, okay, what are we trying to do here? So we have dispersive action from the Wujiu. We have bitter action that's pretty dominant in that formula. Temperature-wise, we're warming the middle. Right. And a lot of people might be like, wait a minute, I thought the person has heartburn. Right. How, yeah, yeah, yeah. how are we warming the middle? Exactly. Right? Yeah. Okay. So let's step back for a second. <laughs> a lot. So if you're out there dealing with heartburn patients, a lot of them are going to come in and they're going to be taking omeprazole. Right. Yes. So that's Prilosec is one of the brands. Tagamet, maybe? I don't know. But omeprazole is the drug, right? Omeprazole was a drug that was originally designed for short-term use of heartburn symptoms, right? So like two weeks or less. But for whatever reason, it's evolved into, well, I know the reason. The reason is because there's no other solution that the <laughs> that the biomeds have handy. So they just go ahead and throw omeprazole at a problem. Omeprazole is a PPI, a proton pump inhibitor, mm -hmm. which effectively turns off the acid production or it limits the acid production in your stomach, right. right? The logic being a person with heartburn has an excess of acid that is surging upward through their esophagus and causing the problem, right? Right. I mean, the logic of that is, is sound, right? The thing is, though, is that we have found over time, and this is um, courtesy of some naturopaths that we know, and you know, you know, sometimes I'm a little critical of our naturopathic brethren, but they do real good work in this space where they're asking questions like, well, is it necessarily that there's too much acid or could there be another problem for why the acid is getting into the esophagus? Right. And lo and behold, it turns out that the esophageal sphincter, the opening between your stomach and your esophagus, the triggering, one of the triggering aspects for the sphincter staying closed is registering a certain level of acid content in the stomach. Right. Right. So the, the cells on that sphincter register that there's a that the acid is surging and moving in the stomach, and so it tightens up so that the acid doesn't go into your esophagus. Right. But if the acid is either diluted in your stomach, so it's not very strong concentration, or is somehow um, overall lacking in total volume, the sphincter doesn't respond like it should and tighten as tightly. So yeah. all of a sudden, the actual problem that the person is having is too little acid or an acid of too uh, light a concentration. Right. The sphincter doesn't close, and so then the acid moves into their throat, right? You hand that person a PPI. Or Tums. Or People Tums. People Tums over the counter, Yeah, right? absolutely. Tums, or especially a daily dose of omeprazole, which reduces the production of acid in your stomach when the actual problem was that your acid wasn't concentrated enough in the first place. And now the overall sensation of heartburn is less because the actual total acid in someone's throat is less, but the problem doesn't go away. Right. So you'll find all these people who take, you know, omeprazole every day, which you can just buy at Costco now. Like in is that buckets. right? Yeah, you can just buy like a bucket. Here's a five-gallon bucket of omeprazole. Oh, my God. Of course you can. Yeah. yeah. Along with your probiotic gummies or whatever. And so you can... <laughs> You buy that stuff and take it. And so you got these people who are like, yeah, if I don't take my omeprazole at Harper, it's terrible. But if I do take it, you know, it's, it's better, but it's still there, right? Yeah. That's a pretty good indicator, not always, but it's a pretty good indicator that you're dealing with what we would call a deficiency presentation where there's cold in the middle jowl because qi and yang are deficient. Yeah. And so the actual maneuver is to warm, even right. though the symptom set is warm right. and hot, right? You know, one of the over-the-counter naturopathic remedies for that low acid actually is the um, apple cider vinegar maneuver, yeah, where people sure. will actually mix. I'm not sure what the ratio is, but you know, it's like a couple of teaspoons of apple cider vinegar and a couple of ounces of water, and then you just yep. drink it. Yep. Like 
before a meal or once or twice a day, and that you're literally just trying to acidify your stomach environment. Uh-huh. Interesting. Um, yeah, some people find great result from that, you know, yeah. but in many ways it's similar to what we would be doing at a, at a deeper level, right, where we're saying right. we need to warm and nourish this this middle situation. Right. So, Li Zhong Wan plus Jertsu Mudan Pi plus Wuju Yu 10% with uh, Zojin Wan 10%, right? Uh-huh. If I have a stomach crack, I'm also putting Mime and Dong in that formula. Uh-huh. That's right? what you like to do with a crack. God, I love... You, I he love always loves putting Mime, Mime and, Dong and Dong in. With the center crack. I know. it's, But there's a couple of reasons about it. One is Mime and Dong at a relatively low dosage is, is easily assimilated. Easily assimilated, assimilated? Jesus, can't talk. Um... <laughs> Even by people with a weak middle jaw mm-hmm. or a weaker middle jaw. Now, obviously, if you dump huge amounts of mime and dung in the formula, it'll still be too sticky. But right. it's a great way to start to get at the yin problem without having to like fill someone's guts with something that's hard to digest. Yeah, it makes sense. The other thing that I like about mime and dung is that specifically targets stomach yin. It is easy to digest, and it has a moderating effect on some of the harsher components of the formula. Because yeah. even though Li Jiang Wan is a really balanced formula by and large, Ganjiang can hit some people's digestion a little much, even if they need warming. Mm-hmm. The Maiman Dong comes in and says, hey, everybody, let's chill out. <laughs> let's relax a little. Let's not get too crazy. Yeah. Right? So that is the combination of herbs that I like for the uh, damp heat-derived, yin-damaged, heat flaring presentation right okay. Makes for, sense. for the heartburn pattern and i think your instinct about the wuji yutang is really on point i mean conceptually it's the same idea yeah the wuji is certainly more potent there i think wuji yutang is some place that i would get into if i really thought there was some deep abiding cold yeah absolutely. in the middle jowl that would you know? be like more damp more cold yeah and you know that there's the classical description of headaches like mm-hmm. where you're like pressing your eyes all the way through your skull, you have such a bad headache, mm-hmm. and you're vomiting out white froth. Is yeah, what the which Shanghamlin says. I'm certain that if you're vomiting white froth, <laughs> you'll be in one of our clinics. Yeah, I'm certain that's gonna happen. <laughs> right. But no, I think I think that's exactly it, right? Like the the level of cold is just so much more intense that you need that that heat from the wujuyu. Because you know, y'all, wujuyu is hot. Wujuyu like, is super hot. If you have not recently played around with bulk wujuyu find a, a bulk pharmacy near you ask if you can come play with their herbs and just get a handful and just smell it take the tiniest nibble yeah the tiniest you nibble. don't even need a handful just no. a pinch pinch no, of wujuyu bite off a little mi- micrometer section a little millimeter of wujuyu and chew on it and you will know yeah how hot that sucker is yeah um, it also smells a little bit like skunks it does, yeah. It has a and a little bit like cannabis, like yeah. skunky weed, yeah. kind of. Yeah, would you use got a skunky weed quality for sure, which you might want to prep your patients for, by the way. Sometimes <laughs> I have some older patients that like pop open a, even a granule formula, They're like, oh, this smells like weed. But like, don't worry, there's no weed in your. We're in not your trying to get formula. you stoned, at least not in that way. Not in uh, that way. Yeah, exactly. So just to contrast that approach with kind of how I would handle a lot of acid reflux presentations, which is very similar, actually. It's just using different herbs. The first formula that I think of when somebody comes in complaining of heartburn or reflux is Bansha Sheshintang, mm-hmm. right? And within Bansha Sheshintang, we have that same combination of warm pungent, which we have in the Bansha and the Ganjiang, and we also have Huanglian and Huangxin. So we have this contrasting hot, acrid, and also cold, bitter, both in the formula. 
and the ratio can be adjusted of those ingredients. Mm -hmm. And then we also have three herbs that are sweeter. You've got Renshan, Dadzao, and Jirgansao. And in your version of the formula, if you're using the Lijongwan, right, you've got Renshan and Jirgansao in the formula. And then if you're adding in Maimandong, that's another sweet flavor, mm -hmm. right? So in some ways it's balancing, I would imagine, pretty similarly. Mm -hmm. And then you're just adjusting the dosage, like if it seemed like there was more of a heat presentation for me and there's more chest symptoms, then I might change the formula to be more like Huanglian Tang, which is just like Banshashashin Tang, but without, um, let's see, the dosage is adjusted of the Huangqin is taken out, Guajir is added in, the Huanglian goes up to nine, and so it's a little more bitter. And then um, and there's a little bit of the Guajir aspect if there's chest symptoms, if there's like palpitations mm -hmm. or whatever going on in the chest. I really like that Ban Shashen Tang has Huang Chin in it as well. Yeah, it because does. Because you get, you get that sort of multi-axis Huang function. Absolutely, yeah. Which I think, which I think is really nice. Um, and you can probably play, you know, because Ban Shashen Tang, I always think of, you know, what's the classic? It's like epigastric discomfort Ban Shashen Tang, you know, like, yeah. but I actually think in this case, like the way that the heartburn can present that really wins me over to the Huangchen aspect of Bancha Shishintang is if there is, you know, some people experience their heartburn like in their throat. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I feel like a stuck feeling in my yeah. throat. There's something that like I Bancha can't Hopo get rid of. Tongue-esque, you mm -hmm. know. But then a lot of people feel it like sub-sternum, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. like when you're sub-sternum or like, you know, just sort of distal to the sternum, right? Mm -hmm. Right above what we really think of as like epigastrium. And that's where people feel the heat. I think Bancha Shishintang is actually better suited in a lot of ways because of the Huangchen and because of the Bansha and the yeah. Bansha's descending yeah. sort of nature there. Yep. And it also, I think Bansha Shishintang sings well when you have a regurgitative aspect. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like if there's, if there's regurgitation and nausea, like Bansha Shishintang, I think really works in that space. But I like how you've pointed out that like, um, sort of flavor and nature wise, yeah. they're working in the same, they're working in the, in same, the, same, in the same space. And mm -hmm. even, there's a modification of Huanglian Tang, which is that, or up in the dose of Huanglian, where you, it's called like Arjia Huanglian Tang or something like that, um, where you add in Wujuyu. Mm -hmm. And so you're almost like halfway to that same yeah. formula, yeah. if you look at it that way. Yeah. Well, and that, that really gets to one of the things that you've been working on sort of research-wise separately is just sort of what what really are the nature and flavors compositions of the formulas that we exactly. think about and yeah. how much substitution or modification is is available you know one right. of the things that that people we talk to about herbs one of the things they struggle with is like well when should i use banchashation tang as you've described it and when should i use you know travis kern's uh yeah how am i supposed to know mm, i don't know that it matters <laughs> You know, like you gravitate, like, you gravitate toward a thinking space, yeah. I believe, and then you fill in like the formulas and you, you see what's required from that perspective. And then it probably doesn't matter what you choose too much. Not, I mean, not specifically, right? I mean, you know, you're as a, as a provider and an herbalist, you're going to pick herbs that you like, first of all, that you have relationships with that you've seen work for you, right? You're also in many cases going to have to pick what's available, Yep. which for the moment we have quite a diversity of choice. Yep. 
But geopolitics being what they are and the nature of climate change in the world being what it is, I don't know that over the course of our whole lives we're going to have access to what we have access to now. Yeah. And so that that creates a real need to think about and understand how can you substitute, right? And yeah, of course, some herbs have unique qualities. We, you know, many of our episodes so far, we talked about the, the unbelievable potency of an herb like chaihu, right? And finding a yeah. substitute for chaihu is tough. But thinking about how chaihu functions in a formula, nature and flavor-wise, and then substituting based on that principle, mm-hmm. is I think a lot more interesting. Yeah. Right. And so when, with these upper middle jaw problems that we're talking about, like what are we trying to do? Well, we're trying to disperse accumulation. Mm-hmm. We're trying to drain and clear heat. Right. Bitter. Right? Bitter. Exactly. So disperse acrid, drain bitter. Yeah. Right. And then nourish deficiency sweet. Mm-hmm. Right. And those three things together in a in a well-designed formula will not be overbearing in any of those three directions, mm-hmm. right? right? And that's really where the art of the composition comes in. And then you can rely on a classic composition like Bancha Shishintang, right? where this thinking's already been done. Yeah. Because that's actually really the rub, isn't it? I mean, right. like, the reason that we rely on a classical formula is not only because the classical formula has shown its effectiveness over time. I mean, maybe that's the primary reason. But it's also because we are able to stand on the shoulders of giants of the past. And like, we don't have to, you don't have to think of Bansha Shishintang in terms of nature and flavor. You can just think of how Bansha Shishintang works on the patient. Yeah. But the nice thing about thinking about it that way is then you can start to see how it works. And in fact, how similar the Bansha Shishintang approach you described is to the Li Zhongwan approach that I described. Right. Yeah. They're not really that far apart, even right. though their names are entirely different yeah. and they are composed of seemingly different herbs. Absolutely. But in fact, they're really working in the same space. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. And um, just an image that comes to mind um, that I heard uh, one of the Nugent heads describe once about the Shaishin Tonks, because somebody was asking in one of their classes. Um, These are what? Andrew and, Andrew uh, and Julianne. Julianne. They have their clinic in the Carolinas, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're in Asheville, I think. Asheville, yeah. And they have, their, they have an educational institute online, and you can do workshops with them. They're great, so you guys can check those guys out. Um, but one of the things they say is it's a little bit like a truck gets stuck in the mud, like a tire stuck in the mud. And if you just use acrid, you're just pushing one way. Whereas if you use the bitter and the acrid, you're like rocking it. And you know how you can get stuff out of the mud mm-hmm, easier if you mm-hmm. rock it back and forth and then get it going? Yeah. That's a little bit like how they justify the the usage of both of those those flavors for this kind of approach, which I, I think is helpful to think about. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially because the, you know, I guess in some ways you could think of acrid and bitter as opposites, mm-hmm. right? And I guess... I guess on a on a diagram they'd be opposites, and that rocking motion is you know forward and back, exactly. forward and back, like yeah. literally working on the seesaw action, right, to get things going. Yeah, it's such an interesting such an interesting way to explain why the two things would work together. Because I think at an initial read, when you haven't thought about it too much, you'd be like, well, you want to combine the opposite things; they'll cancel right. each other out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Who would so, want to combine yin and yang together? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What a terrible idea. <laughs> I can't go by. They'll just cancel each other They'll out. Just cancel each other out. In fact, they they enhance the effect. And then, like, if you were to just acutely settle something, um, this is something I've, like, experimented on myself when I've had too much pizza or something. And, like, oh, you're laying down at night and 
oof, it's still pretty full and uh, this isn't so good. If you just have that acute blockage, I find that combining the pungent or the acrid flavor with a bitter flavor is enough. But if it's a chronic problem, if that's happening all the time, if that stuckness is happening all the time, you really need the sweet flavor to sort of like, it's almost like clicking the save button on that effect, right? Like if you were typing a Word document, the sweet is like saving the action, like helping the body to remember that action so that it, it, it can eventually do it on its own. Whereas if you just did pungent and bitter by itself, it would work to disperse the blockage, but probably only temporarily. That's because the, that's because the earth remembers, my friend. The earth remembers. Yes, yeah, it does. Exactly. Sweet flavor goes in there to say like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how we did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's do that again. Yeah, it's actually you know, one of the interesting things about a formula. You mentioned like, you know, overdoing it on pizza or Thanksgiving or something like that. And like the classic food stagnation formula, uh -huh. Bahawang. Bahawang, yeah. Um, which if all you listeners out there do not have a bottle of good quality Bahuan in your medicine cabinet, you are doing yourself a disservice for all the times when you did have too much pizza, too much ice cream, Thanksgiving, etc. Yep. Because that sensation of like, I'm completely blocked and stuck is remarkably influenced by taking some Bahuan. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And if you get a, if you get real Bahuan made from whole herb, you know, honey pill Bahuan, when you open the bottle, the smell that will assault you when you open the bottle is <laughs> the smell of radish seeds, uh -huh. right? That acrid, explosive, kind of almost rotten vegetable, mm -hmm. sulfurous component that you get from cabbage and, and uh, you know, radish and stuff like that. And But that flavor is exactly the flavor that you need it to just pushes break out through. All that, yeah, yeah, exactly. All that right? stuff. Yeah, that's a great formula. I love Bahuan. We we started making Bahuan here, right, when we started making wands. And it was mm -hmm. really the primary motivation for us to figure out how to make wands for me was to have my hands on good quality Bahuan. Yeah. <laughs> it really was. Just like, because, you know, it's so nice to have when you when you realize, oh, shit, I've gone too far. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you don't have like a handcrafted radicchio salad on hand right? to, to try and cut through the grease accumulation, but Bahawan will do it for you. Yes, it will. Yeah, and if you want, if you guys want some Bahawan made as a wand, you can order it on our website, actually. Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, make a practitioner account with uh, with us at rootandbranchpharmacy.com. Make an account, we'll approve your account, and then we have Bahawan and all kinds of other wands, actually, um, available for your purchase. Handmade here by us and our amazing employees. So, Bahuan is great, and you can do it with tea pills, you can do it with pressed tablets, um, but I think the honey pill is the best. Oh, it, by far. And yeah. tea pills, like, if you really want to get usage out of tea pills, you got to take just a crap ton of those things. I mean, you could just open your mouth and yeah. pour the bottle just in take until as many as you can swallow, you can swallow, swallow until, yeah. until you feel some difference. <laughs> and then, you know, that's, that's the reality. Okay, so we have, um, we've talked a little bit about heartburn. Were there, is there anything else you want to add to that? Are there other patterns of heartburn that maybe we haven't touched upon? I can think of a potential idea of something that that might become more... I do want to add that, um, you know, a lot of people who have had chronic heartburn who are trying to do something that isn't a meprazole about their heartburn also have a lot of anxiety and trepidation 
around their heartburn. Yeah. And sure. so they're like, oh gosh, I'm so uncomfortable. I can't sleep. You know, sleep will often yeah. get affected by mm-hmm. really bad heartburn. Mm-hmm. There are um, some uh, mineral compositions that you can grind into powder and put into capsules that can mm-hmm. kind of function as a, a, frankly, a little bit like a Tums. You know what I mean? A sort of like rescue function for um, right. acid reflux. The thing about them, though, is uh, they're all made from marine animals. So you have to, firstly, your patient needs to know that they're eating cuttlefish bone or whatever if they're if they're vegans and if that matters to them. Um, but there's also potential allergy issues. Right? Sure. And so right. some and some people will have allergy issues. They will. If they're not careful. I've had I've had several patients actually have um, sort of allergic reactions to high piao shao. Yeah. Is what I'm thinking about mm-hmm. in particular. So you can take Hai Piao Shao, which if you have in a bulk pharmacy or you have access to in a bulk pharmacy, looks like, I don't think if you looked at it offhand, you would know that it was from cuttlefish. Um, but it's taken out of the cuttlefish, which is a type of squid, and then it's dried, of course, and then you pulverize it into powder and you pack the powder into double zero capsules. So there's like half a gram, maybe a three quarters of a gram in a capsule. And patients can take two or three as an acute remedy mm-hmm. for very strong heartburn. Mm-hmm. And basically that cuttlefish bone is salty and cool, yep. right? Now, as we just talked about, the real problem is that the patient's digestion is weak and cold. Right. So you can't expect that even if even if eating handfuls of high piao shao helps now, it will not help the problem long term. Right. Yeah. In fact, if they take handfuls of high piao shao all the time, it may make it worse. It'll make right? it worse. Yeah. Right? It'll definitely make it worse. So like so many things, uh, just because it's good doesn't mean that more is better. Right. Right. And you want to be keeping in mind the fact that, you know, you might need other alternatives. But, right, right. Uh, I've never tried it with granule high piao shao on its own. I, yep. don't, I don't know that that will work the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a hunch that probably won't, mm. but I can't speak to that, certainly. I will say, though, that for the patients who don't have an allergic reaction to the high piao shao, it is effective. Mm-hmm. But you got to have it powdered. It's got to be in capsules, two or three, sometimes four, and short bursts, you know, acute need. Yeah. Not not in perpetuity. Right. I'm thinking of um, another thing that I hear patients report who also have a chief complaint of acid reflux or heartburn um, that people do in the morning that can be sometimes aggravating to the condition. Do you have any idea what I'm thinking Something of Something that here? people do in the morning? People do in the morning. Like start drinking their coffee immediately that upon waking? That is it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that because I've literally had patients that have acid reflux and I tell them, like without even trying to treat the reflux, I tell them to stop. I find out that they're drinking coffee first thing in the morning with nothing in their stomach. And they stop that, and then the acid reflux just goes away, yeah. just because they stop that yeah. one habit. I mean, coffee is hot and bitter. Hot and bitter. Yep. Yeah. And if you, you know, that type of person too, I would guess, has a weak middle jaw. Yes. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. And they're probably not hungry when yeah. they get up. And right? hot and bitter is just pushing them right over the edge right from the beginning. Uh, the unpopular opinion here, but. Wait to drink your coffee till after you have breakfast. Please do that. Or yeah. just put something like, I'll tell patients, just eat like a little rice cracker. So like if you're not just hungry, just have a little something in there. I know. Um, Liu He, the Qigong teacher we had at Okong, she would say that 
Uh, she said she said this about drinking tea, but it's the same with coffee, I would think. Maybe even worse with coffee. Um, if you drink tea on an empty stomach, it's like trying to boil a pot, like boil water in a pot without the water being in the pot. Mm. So the heat just goes in and it burns the pot. Mm-hmm. So the pot in the metaphor is your stomach. Mm-hmm. So it just messes your stomach up. And you talk about scorching uh, stomach yin. Like yep. there's, uh, I mean, there's nothing worse no. <laughs> for your stomach's yin yeah. than to drink a bunch of coffee first thing in the morning without having anything in there at all. And it, it's such a, God, and you know, I get it. Everyone in my life, uh, many people in my life are this, uh, the most classic American pattern. That's right. It's like mm-hmm. you, like you work too much. Yep. You stay up too late. You have a poor relationship to sleep. Overeat late at night. Mm-hmm. So when you wake up in the morning, you are groggy mm-hmm. and you are not hungry. Yep. And you have to be at work that you don't like. Yep. Right. And so you drag your ass into the kitchen where the coffee machine has on program and it's already making the coffee and you go into the coffee drawer and you take out the coffee mug that like your mom gave you as a joke birthday present that says, you know, I'm a bitch till I have my coffee, you know, <laughs> or like, don't talk to me. I haven't had coffee or uh-huh. some, some ridiculous Etsy store uh-huh. BS on your coffee. And then you pour it, your coffee in and you probably put some sugar and some cream in it. Right. And then you sort of shuffle out. And if your partner talks to you too early in the morning, you're like, you show them the text on the coffee mm-hmm. mug as a reminder. And hopefully your partner knows you now not to annoy you in the morning. And then, you know, you finally start to catch your feet after the coffee moves through your system and kind of juices your chi a little bit. And, you know, about an hour or so after you've woken up, you feel a little bit more like yourself. And then maybe, maybe you're like the tiniest bit hungry, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so you have like a yogurt. Right. Or maybe you're not hungry at all, actually, because you just don't eat until lunch. Right. And then this whole cycle becomes the routine. Yep. And it's been that way for so long that you just assume that that's normal and that there's no problem with it because whatever, you're just not hungry in the morning. I mean, I'm not going to make myself eat if I'm not hungry. Right. right? And the thing is, is that like, um, uh, like so many Chinese medicine things like yes and no. Right. Right. About that. So firstly, uh, you need to eat breakfast. Mm -hmm. Like the old wisdom is the best wisdom. You have to eat breakfast. Now, if you haven't eaten breakfast in 20 years, you're going to be like, well, I don't eat breakfast. You're like, well, that's right, because you have you know, made this your reality by not eating breakfast for 20 years. You're going to need to start. Why? Why do I need to start? Well, because you're probably now in your 40s or 50s or 60s, especially if you're in your 40s, you're realizing that, hmm, I'm gaining a little weight, and I can't seem to lose it as quickly, and my metabolism feels sluggish. And you think to yourself, oh, well, I mean, I'm in my 40s now, so it's probably fine, mm-hmm. right? Instead of recognizing that like the habits of the last 20 years have created the reality of the current decade that you're in, right? And that in fact, if you eat regularly, your metabolism is more robust. Right. Your body knows when the food's coming in, when what it needs to hold on to, right. what it can let go of, right? Yep. You eat your food before you have your coffee. And instead of the coffee, like using Rio Ho's thing, sort of scorching the pot and mm-hmm. creating all of these potential downstream effects, instead, you warm that which you just put into your system even further and you mm-hmm. can then digest better right so you drink the coffee before your your food appetite suppressant damages digestive power mm-hmm. drink the coffee after you've eaten right boosts the digestion better right. outcome right? yeah so drink your damn coffee after, after your breakfast and, and i know that that's an unpopular opinion 
We're going to get some like hate email about oh it. Oh my God. It's impossible. I, I can't am, do it. it I'm the, it, it's against my religion. It is. Yeah. You know what? Change your religion. Like if, just the reason we're talking about it is because if you have patients that are having heartburn or acid reflux and they're not going to change this habit, you're pushing against the wall. Mm-hmm. It's like so many things like, um, oh, the person is coming in and they have loose stools and super weak digestion and they have no energy, and all of these things. And then you try to give them hot herbs with ganjang and futsa and all this stuff, but then they're drinking cold smoothies twice a day. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like... But they put the spirulina powder in it. Oh, too. man. Yeah. They got the, the, they got the, the powder. All the, all the micronutrients, That's right. right? They, have yeah. a, they have more nutrients in this one oh, smoothie my God. than you can consume in a week. Good, good luck. Good luck. That's the thing. Like, there are certain things that we can work around in mm-hmm. our medicine. Like, mm-hmm. I'm impressed constantly with how much our medicine can actually do. But there are things that are direct barriers mm-hmm. that patients do that can really disallow improvement in their condition. And if we don't talk to them about it, and that's why we're bringing this up here, is this is one of the ones for reflux or for um, heartburn, mm-hmm. right? This kind of um, issue. It's also a problem for um, people with weak middle, like really weak middle jowls yeah. too, yeah, even yeah. if they don't have heartburn. Yeah, especially around appetite and metabolism. Yeah, right? 100%. Like, yeah. You know, I work with a lot of diabetic patients, um, and almost 201 diabetic patients have a complex relationship with sleep. And a very complex relationship with appetite. Yeah. And many, many of them are no breakfast people. Right. Right. And many of them have also struggled with their weight. And there's been an association that like, well, it's probably better that I don't eat breakfast. Right. Because it's fewer calories. Right. right. If I'm eating breakfast, well, I'm just eating more calories. That's not that's not necessarily the case. Right. Mm-hmm. Because metabolic issues, middle jowl issues, weight gain, you know, it, many of you out there probably have patients who have called you like, oh, what, what can you do for helping me lose weight, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, weight gain and metabolic disease is a middle job problem, exactly what we're talking about now. Um, but a lot of it has to do with a poor understanding of what's helping to boost and improve metabolic function and what is actually creating starvation states and yeah. weakness and patterns that are harder to break out of, Yeah. You know? And fear, fear of appetite. Mm-hmm. This is something like mm-hmm. we have to coach people about all the time. If you're, if you have no appetite ever, and you want to lose weight, we're going to give you herbs, and your appetite is going to come back. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing, mm-hmm. right? Because your metabolism's moving again. It's mm-hmm. starting like your digestive fire has come back. Your earth is starting to function again. Do not resist your appetite. Like oh, yeah. your appetite is a positive force. Do not fear it, which people do. They start to fear their appetite. And well, my appetite is the problem. Is oh, the yeah. story, right? I ate too much. I ate too much. Mm-hmm. And yeah, anyway, we're going a long thing about that. But just, I think the coffee thing and the appetite thing, these are good, good things to consider. I think it's also important too, to, to make sure, you know, you guys are hearing us talk about these things you need to talk to your patients about. I do want to say importantly that, um, in my opinion, our role as practitioners is to provide quality advice and a roadmap to success. But I don't think it serves very many people to lecture yeah, berate true. 
or create a you must circumstance with patients. Right. Even though our clinical experience confirms the fact that if a person will not make this kind of coffee change, for example, mm-hmm. that it does fundamentally limit what we can achieve. Mm-hmm. Even though I know that that's true, even though we just talked about it and explained it. When I tell the patient that, mm-hmm. I'm going to do it in a in an open, compassionate, accepting Absolutely. way. Right? Yeah, like, it's, it's super important. You don't sit across the table from your patient and be like, you need to do this. And right. if you don't, you're fucked. <laughs> Right. Like, sorry for the vulgarity, but like that, that that's the idea. Right. I mean, like, no, don't bring that energy to the table. Right. right? Understand and recognize that the human experience is complicated and people have a lot of stuff wrapped around appetite and food and habit. And even though it is true that they need to make that change, you got to figure out a way to talk to them about it. I would also suggest that in many cases, it's probably not a first visit conversation. Sure. Right. Yeah. Build some rapport. Right. Make sure that, you know, you want to let them know we're going to need to talk about food and habits. And so they have an idea. It's not coming out of left field. But I don't usually recommend that you give someone a huge list of prescription activities right from the get. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Um, because I, I think in a lot of ways, like people get a lot of that. They you know? do. You go, they go to the medical doctor. Like A lot of people don't go to the doctor because they don't want to have a lecture. That's true. And you don't want that relationship with your patients, right? right? Where they're hiding things from you or not telling things to you because they're worried um, that you're going to be judgy about it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be judgy. We're not trying to like prove who's the best human. We're trying to give people tools to improve their outcomes based on what they told you they needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's really important to keep in mind. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so then um, we spoke about indigestion as kind of our next mm-hmm. another thing we wanted to cover. So. What do you mean when you say indigestion? What's like, what are you talking about when, with that? So indigestion for me, I mean, I guess as a broad spectrum term, it can, I suppose, technically include stuff like heartburn, right? But usually I think of heartburn and indigestion. So indigestion is like, I had a meal and shortly thereafter, I had some kind of movement in my guts that Mm -hmm. doesn't feel great. Maybe some bloating, Mm -hmm. some gas, Gurgling mm-hmm. could also go all the way to abdominal pain, yeah. either ache, general ache, or sharp pain, right? For most people, I don't think it gets quite that far, but um, there are a lot of people, a lot of people, who every time they eat, they don't feel great. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Even if they've tried to eat all the right things, quote unquote, mm-hmm. right? So they're, they've cut out everything, they're eating like white rice and I don't know broccoli right and chicken yeah plain poached chicken Mm -hmm. and then they're still like oh god i feel terrible usually when that when that's the thing that i'm looking at when people just cannot digest again fundamental deficiency problem Mm -hmm. almost certainly right and so how do we how do we approach it this gets us back i mean as everything that we get back to right it's the same core diagnostic principle are you dealing with something that's hot or cold are you dealing with something that's excess or deficiency are mm-hmm. you de- you know like these are the right. same questions that you're always going to ask and for something like indigestion um the only other aspect that i think really matters in this discussion is how much of their indigestion is also emotionally connected yeah sure right because the emotional access for indigestion is a huge one everyone's experienced that and it is the one of the major indicators for a wood overacting pattern mm-hmm. and the involvement of the liver and its influence on spleen. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately the formula that that brings us to in many cases is shiosan, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, so you need to discern that when you're talking to the patient. Like, is this just all circumstances always? Like, I eat anything and I have indigestion? Or is this in certain circumstances, right? Mm-hmm. It's also interesting to note, by the way, that it's not a bad idea to talk about to talk to patients about the context of their eating. Some people like yeah. they eat like watching the news, mm-hmm. like always. Like they like read their phone on the news, like for lunch, uh-huh. and then they like sit down in front of the news at dinner. I had a patient last week. It was just it, it hadn't occurred to me that this was one of the problems, but I knew that the patient was kind of anxious. But it seemed like all of their meals caused problem. And then they went on vacation. This is a common thing. Went on vacation. They were in France. And they ate all kind of stuff mm-hmm. that should have messed up their guts. Mm-hmm. Cheese, rich food, cream sauce, right. bread. alcohol, bread. So much bread yeah. with butter, pastry, yeah. right? They felt great. Yeah. No problems, right? And so the way that this came up was the patient was like, you know, I don't know what's so dish. We got to adopt those European Union growing rules. They got so much better right. food there. And I was like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, the food is definitely better on a lot of levels in France. But that's not why. Like, you were, it's the emotional factor. Like, you were on vacation. Yeah. Like, for the first time in ages, it was super chill. It was paid for by someone else. Like, what a great vacation. Like, you literally have no concerns whatsoever. And so they were totally invested, mm-hmm. right? They had no problem. Upon discussing what it was like to come back, their digestion problems all just came raging back. And it was mm-hmm. in this conversation that I discovered that they watched the news. And this is like a hyper, hyper political mm-hmm. person, right? Mm-hmm. Very, very impacted by political reality. Um, and they watched the news at every meal. Wow. Every Just by habit. Oh, you know, so they, they read the news on their phone at breakfast. Yeah. Right? They were either watch something on YouTube or read the news again at lunch. And then they watch the news on TV at dinner with their partner. And I was like, you, you should stop that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I know how much this patient gets worked up by the political reality. Right. And, you know, a lot of the work that we had been doing for their indigestion was was not dissimilar from what we were talking about with the heartburn stuff, the Lee Jong Wan pattern. But this, in this case, a Futsu Lee Jong Wan pattern, right? Um, without the Wu Ju Yu and stuff, because no heartburn. But then I thought, you know, I think I've been missing this whole time, how much of this was emotionally induced. And the reason mm-hmm. I had discounted it before is because there what didn't seem to be any distinction between high stress and low stress environments. It's just all the time mm-hmm. this was the case. So it wasn't until I had this sample of they were on right. vacation sure. and all of a sudden everything was fine for me to be like, oh, wait, hold up. I think there's something I missed here. And so we rewrote the formula using... Chaiosan, mm-hmm. right, to add that liver soothing aspect that we get from the chai hu that's in there and all the digestive support, you know, from the mm-hmm. rest of the herbs. And I'll be interested to see what happens, mm-hmm. you know, and see if now we get a little better traction. Because what happened with the Futsu Li Zhong Wan pattern was we got a lot of traction and we plateaued. Mm-hmm. Like stuff was better. It wasn't mm-hmm. so bad they could eat a variety of things again, what have you. But still, mm-hmm. a lot, of, almost everything would cause some low grade digestive problem. Mm-hmm. And now I'm wondering how much of that was the emotional piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you ever, um, so the, this kind of groups the two sides of our, our topic over the last two podcasts together, but do you use the bowel movement question like to differentiate some of, of these other more particular patterns for the upper middle? So like, let's say there was acid reflux. Is the bowel movement question going to clarify which like which herbs do i use what's the ratios Mm -hmm. 
Sure. Is the same thing with this version, like the um, the indigestion question, going to clarify some of those things? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to, right? There's just because the bowel movement question, as we talked about last time, is one of the key ways to determine, you know, how much dampness there is, how hot something is, or how cold something is, right? Right. Like, it's just so key. So, you know, if you have someone who has wild heartburn and indigestion after meals, um, uh, but they aren't cold, they're not tired, they're not lethargic, and they have hard, dry stool, mm-hmm. right? Lee Jong-wan is probably not the base formula. Right, right? yeah, right? yeah, because, yeah like, exactly. there clearly is not the level of deficiency cold that we would have to deal with, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, so that the, the ganjang and stuff would be a mismatch, mm-hmm. right? Now, the wujuyu piece with the huanglian is probably still relevant for the immediate pattern that's mm-hmm. causing the heartburn. Mm-hmm. As the maimandong may also still be relevant because right. of the crack in the tongue, and also it could help moisten the stool. But now we're going to have a different base pattern because we're dealing with something that's clearly not a young deficiency cold presentation. Right. You know. Yeah. So of course it matters. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think there's any way to to distinguish it entirely. Like oh, I, in fact, I think you would be probably likely to be off the mark. You know what I mean? If you, right, try, if sure. you tried to do it without yeah, yeah, a poop yeah, yeah. question. Right. You know what I mean? But I think really when, you know, just like with the poop questions, I'm also going to want to know about, like if I'm treating a lower middle jaw problem, I still want to know about appetite and digestion. Yeah. And all of, like the upper part of the digestive tract still matters when treating the lower and vice versa. I think more importantly, though, when I think of a lower middle jaw problem, it's because I'm primarily trying to treat the poop. Mm-hmm. Right, and mm-hmm. solve that at first mm-hmm. versus an upper middle jaw problem where I'm trying to deal with what's upstream as opposed to down. So, in right. this case, like sure. the heartburn. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Although, of course, let's be real like people with weak middle jaws that are cold and have heartburn probably also have loose stool. Right. Probably. Yeah. But not always. But, but if they, it, but like in that example you just gave, right, the stool is more dry and yeah. hard, right? Yeah. So, like, my mind then goes to a dachai hutong. Something mm, like yeah. that, where we're yeah, using a yeah. little bit of Da Huang, mm-hmm. but we're also mm-hmm. like high dose of Shengjiang, and like we're, you know, we're still warming. We're mm-hmm. just also facilitating a movement of that stool. And this is the pattern where the damp heat is more heat than damp, mm-hmm. right? Whereas some other iteration where it's more damp than heat, right. right? Or where the damp heat is from cold stagnation. I mean, like, of course, now here we are causing the same anxiety that people have with why, how, how do I know which formula to write? Everything's possible. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Well, that's kind of why I wanted to go through this, though, because if we if we isolate the, the, like the, the symptoms, the diseases, mm-hmm. so to speak, mm-hmm. then we add back in the texture. The texture actually helps us with differentiation. Yeah. So, like, um, epigastric disorders, heartburn, reflux... But then the bowel pattern comes in and the bowel pattern is different than we would expect. Mm-hmm. Like you would expect for somebody that has reflux in general to have more wetter, like looser stools, right? Because yeah. you're thinking like, ah, maybe there's damp heat. Maybe there's some kind of like, there's there's a problem there, right? For the Shishintang patterns, sometimes there's this really interesting bowel pattern where in the same movement, you have the first part of the bowel comes out and it's harder, right? And the second part comes out wetter, mm-hmm. right? And so that's like one manifestation of the mixed heat and cold in the middle that you have to deal with. So like that, you could expect with that pattern, but you wouldn't expect the stool to be hard and dry. 
Mm -hmm. right? If it is, then maybe like part of the reason that there's reflux is that the, the bowel is actually backing up. Like it's not moving through mm. quite so well, mm -hmm. right? And then we might need to facilitate the movement of the chi in some other way, either with like sha ren or ho po or zhi shi or something like this, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to mm -hmm. help to facilitate that movement through mm -hmm. and keep it from backing yeah, up up cause, top. Because effectively what you're dealing with is some sort of digestive reversal pattern, yeah. right? Where the uh -huh. chi is not descending like it's supposed to. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the beautiful thing about what we do, right? And why we broke this show into two parts, because the middle jaw is complicated, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many things going on. And I think it's important, though, as, as a clinician, like part of the reason we made this show was, of course, to talk about herbs and have people think about different formulas and stuff. But it's important to just remember your training, right? Mm -hmm. Go with the pieces that you know, right? Is this a hot problem, a cold problem, a dry problem, a damp problem, mm -hmm. an excess problem, a deficiency problem, et cetera? And just make a decision based on what is in front of you. So like in the pattern that you just like, you don't need to, you don't necessarily need to understand a sort of like digestive reversal patho mechanism to no. make the right call here. No. Right. You just need to recognize that like, you know, formulas like Da Chai Hutang that utilize the potency of an herb like Da Huang mm -hmm. to facilitate downward action. Mm -hmm. When I clearly have a problem with downward action mm -hmm. with a hard, dry stool and the presence of acid reflux, mm -hmm. both of those things are pointing out that there is a downward movement problem. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so since those two things align together, it makes sense to use a formula like Dai Chai Hutang that's focused on downward movement, mm -hmm. right? Whereas if you have acid reflux, which is a downward movement problem, but then you have loose stool, which is... Uh, excess downward movement, so mm -hmm. I suppose technically a downward movement problem, but from the opposite end, mm -hmm. right? Then the activity of the action, the activity of the formula you're going to choose is inherently going to be different, mm -hmm. right? And so you pick the formula that deals with the loose stool and the warming, and then include something like Zojin Wan to deal with the, the resurgent problem, mm -hmm. or you go with your Shashin Tong, like we talked about, mm -hmm. which has that collective action together. So I just think uh, it's important for people to not get gummed up in I don't know pathomechanisms. I don't know all this theory. It's okay. Like, mm -hmm. you know the basics, mm -hmm. right? You know the, the core components. And so you start pulling these formulas together. So, I mean, based at this point now, last time we talked a lot about the use of ping san, mm -hmm. right? We talked a lot about adding herbs in to tighten stool or loosen stool, mm -hmm. right? So I'd encourage you guys to go back and listen to that discussion. And in this context, we're talking about basically herbs that are warming and supportive to the middle, right? And then augmenting that kind of formula, Li Zhongwan in this case, with herbs that have a balancing effect on the excess heat pattern that's showing as a byproduct of this deficiency, right? Mm -hmm. Or in the one you just described, we're going back to an even further back conversation about how uh, Chai Hutan formulas work, mm -hmm. right? And sort of what mm -hmm. Da Chai Hutan does in particular um, in order to correct for a downward flow problem. Right. So... You know, that's the thing, right? Like that, we talked about Chahutang in the context of Chahu family formulas outside of the world of the middle jowl. Right, right? Sure. Like all these other places that it can manifest. But of course, it can be hugely appropriate when you have this other presentation on the other side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anything else that seems relevant with the upper middle jowl? Any other symptoms? Like what about, um, what about like vomiting disorders? Like you know, people man, are I, sick or like... I see such rare vomiting patterns outside of like 
acute stuff. Like I literally yeah. had a patient this morning. It usually is kind of acute, right? Yeah, yeah, but you know, you read about it in the text. And here you go. Here's another thing. Be cautious. We love the Bensky. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes you read those patterns and you're like, well, my patient is vomiting <laughs> constantly. And they're like, yeah, it's okay. They don't need to be, right? But I had a patient this morning actually who um, took their herbs and had this like the vomit effect. Like they vomited like four times in a row. Is that right? Yeah. And then they felt amazing. Yeah. And went and worked in the yard for five hours. That's what they told me. <laughs> And I was like, oh, well, that was uh, unexpected. Like, that's not, that's certainly, not. and the patient was like, do you think that had something to do with getting things moving? And that's why I felt better? And I was like, I mean, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Right? Like, so you don't always know, you know, yeah. what, what's going to happen. But um, I have not seen a lot of vomiting patterns as what I would think of as a as an intrinsic pathomechanism. I see a lot of people with, cold-based nausea yeah. that makes them feel like they need to vomit, but almost no one ever gets to the point yeah. of vomiting, right? Yeah. And in those in those cases, we're almost always using some bancha ganjiang combo, yeah. you know what I mean? So again, shishintang or, totally. or, or lijong one, you know? How about for things like um, food poisoning? This is a good topic. Like, how do we see yeah. food poisoning in our medicine? I just... I, had a, I have a super cool case to talk about with that. Um, that was like an inside the family situation. Um, but I'm curious what you like to do about like those kinds of cases. Like how do you see those kinds of cases usually? So food poisoning is amazing. I, so I've had the fortunate, unfortunate situation to have been able to treat some food poisoning yeah. like in my family right. um, recently, I guess within the last year. Um, so I think of it as a, a toxic heat problem. Mm -hmm. primarily sort of like okay. an accumulation of damp toxicity right right so it's hot it's damp it's toxic mm -hmm. which is why it's so intense and it's so problematic the trick of course is that people are vomiting right and pooping wildly and so being able to hold something in their stomach right to actually help yeah it's really tough yeah really really tough and strong flavors and smells mm -hmm. can facilitate vomiting in particular once people have already started vomiting because of whatever they've had going on. Um, so one of my favorite base formulas to start with when someone can at least tolerate. So here's the thing. You get food poisoning. You're like, oh, something's not right. You start having really frequent diarrhea. Worst scenario, you're having diarrhea and vomiting at the same time. Like, whoa, the mm -hmm. worst case scenario. In my experience so far, you got to get through the first couple of hours of mm -hmm. that because there's nothing that I can give you. Yeah, that, that you'll be actually able to, be able to keep down. You just won't, not long enough yeah. for it to work, right? And so the goal there is minimize your discomfort as much as possible. Make sure you're drinking water when you can yep. so you're not dehydrated. But you're looking at probably, you know, 6 to 12 hours of misery that yeah. we've all experienced, right? It's after that point, once you are no longer completely sitting on the toilet for the whole afternoon that we start to ask ourselves like, well, what can we do now? Right. Mm -hmm. Because the pathogen is almost certainly still there. It's a real nasty string of noroviruses that we saw a lot oh, recently. Man. Yeah. Everybody got hit. I got hit on yeah. the East coast when I was there like late last year. Yeah. And people, and they last, right. So you get uh. these bursts and then, then even after you're feeling better, it's like for a week or two after it's like still liquid stools. There's a lot going on there. So I love the classic, Huoshang mm -hmm. formula because it has a lot of what I think of flavor-wise as necessary components. So you have 
the aromatic quality mm -hmm. of Huoshan, which mm -hmm. I think deals really, really well with the damp accumulation that yeah. is part of that damp toxicity problem. Um, and then you have all of the digestive supporter pieces, which I think are pretty key. And then the element that really matters that will depend on how bad the infection is, is how much toxic result toxicity type herbs do you need to put into a formula um, for that kind of pattern, right? Right. Because, sure. you know, if it's if someone has stomach pain, if they've got really hot diarrhea, you know, it's painful. Like, right. there's clearly a toxic heat thing that's going to need to go, right? Mm -hmm. Also, I want to say importantly, when someone's in an acute food poisoning state, it's not a good idea to give them something like Imodium to stop mm. the diarrhea oh, yeah. in the, the first stage. The diarrhea is the therapeutic it's, process. It's got to right? go. It's I mean, gotta, I, I know it's, it's terrible, and you will dehydrate yourself if you're not careful, but you, in the first 12 hours in particular, mm -hmm. you really don't want to try and stop the diarrhea. Right. right? It, it's your body's pur purging that really does need to happen, right? Huoshang Zhengqishang also has dafupi yeah. in it. I love dafupi. Yeah, dafupi is a great Dafupi and binglong, because bing yeah. dafupi is the shell, right? Mm -hmm. And binglong is the seed. Uh, and if you read about those herbs, you'll be like, I don't never have parasites. Why would I need these herbs? But <laughs> dafupi and binglong have so many more applications than parasites. Um, the great thing about that plant, the Eureka plant in this case, is that it deals in residual toxicity that is often the case with these kinds of stomach pain, mm -hmm. food poisoning problems. Mm -hmm. So I think in many cases for standard run of the mill, I don't know, had some bad yogurt or something from the corner store food poisoning. I think a standard Huoshang Zhengqishang with the Bensky numbers is great. Yeah. Right? If it's something more virulent, more neurovirus-y, more painful, mm -hmm. right? You might need to reach more into your toxic heat collection of herbs and mm -hmm. that could be things like banlan gen lian chao jinin hua mm. your kind of classic heat clearing cool herbs right they don't need to be like wild intense herbs you just need to put enough of them in there so if you're going to add resolve heat clear toxicity type herbs mm -hmm. or maybe it's the other way clear heat and resolve toxicity whatever betsky calls them um i usually put in a cluster of them so i'll put in like four or five all at standard dose, as opposed to like two at high dose. Right, right? sure, sure. And I really like Jinin Hua and Lian Chao. I think of those as a Duayao pair. Mm -hmm. I use those a lot, right? Um, I like Ban Lan Gen, which just on its own, I think is a really mm -hmm. um, great herb. Um, and so that'll go in there as well. And then, you know, after that, I might just take elements of the Huoshang Zhengqishang, like the Dafupi, and boost it, mm -hmm. right? So that that goes in there as well. Um, and then honestly, at that point, it's kind of like, what do you have access to, and what's your flavor? You you know, I might put one more toxic heat herb in there. Mm -hmm. I don't know in my experience as it matters so much which one. Mm -hmm. They're all kind of the same. Mm -hmm. Don't tell the herb people that. But they're <laughs> they're kind of all. The same. I mean, I'm sure someone's gonna be like, no, Bon Julien is so different than yeah, like, like yeah, whatever. Yeah. Man. It's fine if you want to. What about the um, the you know, Heiner Fruhoff talks about like some of these goo herbs that are like, yeah. oh, the arrow that kills the demon or yeah, whatever, whatever in, in Chinese. Yeah, your magic herbs, man. <laughs> it's fine. Like if you got, let's be honest, if you have magic herbs, you put that shit in the formula. You do it, man. Right? Yeah. Use your magic herbs. I'm not saying don't use them. I'm just saying mm -hmm. if you don't have magic herbs, don't stress about it. You can just use Lian Chao and mm -hmm. 
continue to walk. Like you'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll be fine. You know what I mean? You don't need the special magic from high on the hill, you know, um, toxicity pattern. The other thing to keep in mind is that in most cases, unless you're exceptionally deficient or older or have some kind of other immuno, you know, deficiency problem, your body's going to clear that food poisoning. True. It just, it will happen. Yeah. It might take a while and it's unpleasant. And so in many cases, what we do herbally after that 12 to 24 hour misery pain point is to just try to make the recovery shorter. Yeah. Right. But, but it's trending in the right direction anyway. So you, yeah. you don't have to like super stress about it. You just got to make sure the patient stays hydrated and that they can start to get food down when they can and bland, simple foods, saltine crackers for the win, mm-hmm. you know, really simple. But herb wise, I think you do need something that's aromatic. I think you need something that's spleen supportive. So something earthy, some baiju, something mm-hmm. other, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're going to need stuff that deals with residual toxic heat, mm-hmm. however much you think is left in the pattern. And then you're going to need something. The reason that, again, like Huosheng Zhengqi Tang is that Dafupi comes in there. And Dafupi and Binglang, I almost always use them together, even though I think it's just Dafupi mm-hmm. in Huosheng Zhengqi Tang. I think they have, those are my magic herbs. Like mm-hmm. People are like, oh, what's your magic herb? I'm like, oh, you got a weird toxic thing happening? Dafupi Binglang. <laughs> what exactly do they do? Oh, well, like the magic. Let's <laughs> put it in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Technically, Binglong, you know, it's doctrine of signatures. It's got these tiny little, um, they almost look like capillaries in the cross section of the seed. So it goes into deep places. So yeah. if you have some Lola kind of... Lai. It's one of the little Yeah, liars. and, you know, norovirus in particular, the strain that was happening, people would be sick for like two weeks, three mm-hmm. weeks. That's a low my thing. Like you need an herb that's going to take your formula deep into the places where the pathogen is lurking and get it out, right? So that's the magic effect of the Binglong piece. And then dafupi is this furry, hard shell that protects the binglong, right? And it has this, um, it's not accurate exactly, so I don't know if I want to use the word dispersive, but there is something dispersive about dafupi in its action inside of a toxic heat formula. I think it takes the heat clearing and toxicity resolving function and it puts it into like the flesh substantive space, mm-hmm. right? So between the two parts, between the shell and the seed, Mm -hmm. you can take the potency, the heat clearing, resolving function of your formula and drive it deep into the body, into a place that the pathogen can't hide anymore. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the, in the magic herb realm, Dafupi Binglong. Dafupi Binglong. Yeah. Yeah, Those are good, good herbs. Yeah. So I have a, a kind of a different approach to treating the, um, the food poisoning type patterns. I like to use the sudden turmoil distinction of like the classical Chinese language, like where, you know, sudden turmoil, for those of you who have forgotten our schooling distinctions, is um, the confluence of vomiting and diarrhea simultaneously. Mm. So any kind of condition with that confluence is considered sudden turmoil. Um, So food poisoning, obviously, falls into that, right? A lot of cases fall into that. And the nice thing about using that distinction for me is it makes the formula choice very simple because there's really only like two or three formulas that treat sudden turmoil, like from the Shanghan Lun's perspective. So we have um, Wuling San as our chief formula. Mm. And Wuling San is nice because of how bland it is. Super bland. Super bland. Mm-hmm. So if somebody is like really having a hard time taking things and getting it down, you might be able to get Wuling San into them, right? That's a good point, because actually, Huosheng Zhengqi Tang is very flavorful. 
very flavorful. And I have had yeah. I've had family members be unable to take it even in the post set of like yeah. the, the post recovery thing because yeah. it's too strong. The flavor is too strong. Yeah. So having Wuling San, that's a great idea. Wuling San is is a nice one. And then so the in the Shanghan Lun, the distinction is sudden turmoil with thirst and fever. Mm-hmm. Wuling San. Without thirst, without fever, Li Zhongwan. So those, the, it's just a very simple distinction mm. because the idea is that like, basically with Wuling San, um, we think of Wuling San as a bladder problem, right? Yeah, primarily. But it also works. The other side of Taiyang at the organ level is the small intestine, mm. right? So the the sudden turmoil pattern is there's actually like water that's accumulating in the small intestine. And for some reason, the yang, it gets pulled out of the small intestine, so it's not able to transform the water. So then any introduction of anything, it's just trying to get rid of because it can't transform anything, mm. right? So the wuling san pulls the water out of the small intestine and pees it out through urination, right? right? right, right. And with a wuling san pattern, you have the confluence of thirst where the body is desiring more water. But when you drink water in sudden turmoil, you're going to vomit it right back out because your body can't transform it at all. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, it's not actually, it's not really the pathogen that's causing, this is a weird thing to say, it's not the pathogen that's causing the problem, it's actually the physiology is disorganized. So by Mm -hmm. helping the physiology to reorganize, transform the water, it's then able to process out whatever accumulation is in the way, right? And then if, if there's no thirst and there's uh, no fever, then we know that we're not in the yang confirmations. We're actually treating more of a spleen problem. And so then you can have the, like the same symptoms, but you need really more to warm. And and usually I, I found that to be kind of rare. Usually the wuling san is what we end up doing. Um, I had a... Um, uh, I read a case where this, this is a Chinese medicine practitioner's kid drank a bunch of, um, took a bath, like drank a bunch of the soapy water. Like mm. he left him alone. He drank yeah. a bunch of the water and he got super sick. You know, it was like vomiting, diarrhea. And um, that kid uh, didn't have thirst and didn't have a fever. So um, he gave him Li Zhongwan and that was helpful in that case. Usually for food poisoning, the Wuling San pattern is really clear um and i had an experience recently where my brother uh who lives on the east coast um with his girlfriend his girlfriend had food poisoning and he's texting me about it right i'm asking him questions and so he's like you know the the bridge the middleman in between me and his girlfriend discussing about her symptoms and um she had thirst and she had a fever and they're in the East Coast, they're in upstate New York. There's no Chinese pharmacy around, right? But I was like, what do you have? What does she have in her um, refrigerator, right? So she had two different types of mushrooms, like culinary style mushrooms. She had uh, uh, cinnamon as a spice, right? So I had her brew up, like I had no idea if this was gonna work or not, but I had her brew up, um, like basically decoct, chop up some of these mushrooms and then put some cinnamon in it like last as the last thing and um she took it and she was able to drink it down which wasn't possible before she was trying to drink water and she was throwing it right back up but for some reason with this combination she was able to actually drink it down 
and she didn't vomit and then she was able to pee and then the symptoms got a lot better like within a couple within an hour or so that's so interesting yeah because you know it's it's interesting to think about what the pathogen is for food poisoning because like in many cases it may very well just be toxic dampness without heat Mm -hmm. right initially right and then it can have heat depending Mm -hmm. on what happens to the stagnation of a super toxic um, dampness right and when i say toxic dampness i mostly mean quite intense dampness yeah right dampness it's funny because uh toxic always gets attached to heat Mm-hmm. It's toxicity and heat, toxic heat, right? Oh, yeah. But toxic dampness is a really great way to describe dampness that has aggression. Mm-hmm. Dampness is not normally an aggressive, it's not an aggressive pathogenic process, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's an, it's an accretive one. It like sort of happens over time. Right, right, right. But toxic dampness is the aggressive yang component woven into a dampness pattern. And so if that's the case, like you get rapid onset, rapid proliferation, but something like Wuling Sun would be a great way to immediately pull the plug on dampness's aggression. Right. By being like, oh, sorry, you're getting drained. Yep. Right? Like you, the bath is filling up with toxic yep. dampness and you just drain pull, it right out. Pull the plug. Yep. Right? And all of a sudden <laughs> it starts going out. That's a really interesting way to approach it because, you know, Huoshang Zhengqitang is getting at the toxic dampness, but in a much more complicated way mm-hmm. than, than straight up Wuling Sun. And I think there's really a lot to be said for the simplicity. Of drinking a bland formula like Wuling San and being able to, to riff to on it, it with yeah. mushrooms and uh, mm-hmm. and cinnamon. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's that's pretty solid. Um, that's a that's a very interesting idea. So I think I think if people are listening, it's important to think about particularly what your patient can handle. Yeah. What you have access to, what your patient can handle. I mean, Travis just describing this. MacGyver version of a, of a Chinese medicine. <laughs> no idea approach. if it would work, but it did. But it, it did, did in fact yeah. work. And and why why that? Well, because you have enough of an understanding of the mechanism of Wuling San to then mm-hmm. guess that those kitchen ingredients could be used in a similar fashion, right? right? Now, was it exactly the same as Wuling San? No, of course, but it did work in the same vein, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's an important thing to remember. Like food is the first medicine. Mm-hmm. It's the daily constant thing that you're inputting in your body. And herbs are just a concentrated, potent form of food, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I wouldn't suggest you have a big salad made out of wujuyu, right? It's, it's not going <laughs> to taste good. But at its core, I mean, the stuff is food. Mm-hmm. You're eating it. And so there's no reason that food things can't function in the same way if we have that kind of understanding right. for how to apply them. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah, and it's and, and then, like, maybe to follow up, the, the formula might be more like a yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something more more supportive, more you know, supportive. like a Shenling Baidu San or uh-huh. something that's got some tonification in it, you know, something to, to really lift and build while also astringe the bowels and, you know, whatever. So, I mean, I definitely, I think that's one of the things, you know, we talk a lot about which formula to pick for a case. We don't, maybe we'll, maybe we'll do this in the future, is talk too about the evolution of single cases. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the formula is not always the same formula, right? right. When a person takes right. the formula for a fixed set of patterns and that's a complex situation so it changes and now we have to change the formula to accommodate that change and so on and so on and so there's an evolution Absolutely. in a really well-managed case where here you know acute uh, food poisoning wuling san second stage post-acute we're doing something that's a little more aromatic recovery stage because it was really gnarly and the patient was already deficient and they've been really depleted by this whole experience 
we've got a, a, a beefed up Shinling Bajusan to keep the stool dry mm-hmm. and firm and then to restore some of the chi that was lost. So that's an evolution of a single case with three different formulas. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That all yeah. are working on a single positive outcome, but from really different angles. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's important for people to hear too. Yeah. Evolution is something that's missed, I think, a lot in case studies and in clinical discussions. Like it's, there's a yeah. lot of emphasis on differentiating the pattern, how to see this pattern versus this pattern, but how to see this pattern first and then what's below that pattern. How do we move with the case as the pattern shifts mm-hmm. and how do we treat the deeper pattern that's there afterwards? And I feel like that is something that that's it's not discussed often enough and to really understand how to use herbs to support people in, you know, acupuncture for, um, for a lot of cases is also, uh, like that, you know, there's, you're going to do different things in the beginning than you would do as you continue to treat patients, you know? So, um, yeah, but maybe that's something we'll riff on. Yeah, we should, we should look at that because I think it'd be cool for listeners to hear some cases that we picked that we walked through the whole evolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Cause if you pick up a case study book, it's like the patient took four packets and they yeah, were five and they were, right? they were better. They were better. You're like, yeah, but how much better? Right. And did they keep coming see you? And mm-hmm. like, was it part of a bigger problem? You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's always so many other layers to deal with. So, well, I think we should, uh, we should call it there. Yep. Sounds good. Alrighty, my friends. Thank you for listening again. This has been The Nervous Herbalist, produced by Root and Branch Chinese Medicine Pharmacy. You can always reach us at rootandbranchpharmacy.com. Make an account in order to use our pharmacy. We ship herbs all across the country, in granule and in bulk, and in wands, and soon to be uh, sans, and a whole other system of things for you to have all the herbal needs that you require. So don't hesitate to reach out to us as well. If you have any questions or if you have suggestions for shows, you can reach us at info at rootandbranchpdx.com. That's I-N-F-O at rootandbranchpapadeltaxray.com. Um, and yeah, I've, I've recently learned all of the letters because I have to talk to insurance companies all the time and I have to say letters and they're like, what? And I'm like, Papa Delta X-Ray. Papa Delta X-Ray, PDX, <laughs> right? For all of your radio needs, right? To talk to the, the, the flight towers, right? But anyway, it's good talking with all of you guys, and we'll see you next time. This is Travis Kern. And Travis Cunningham. Have a good one.